welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today my guest is actor O.T. Fagbinley, who is best known for playing the role of Luke over four seasons on the Hulu series The Handmaid's Tale. His latest project is the Marvel film Black Widow, in which he plays the character Rick Mason. O.T. will also be playing the role of Barack Obama opposite Viola Davis as Michelle Obama in the upcoming Showtime series, The First Lady. This interview was recorded at the end of June over the internet with OT in Atlanta and myself in South Carolina. So please forgive any audio weirdness. All right, man. So first of all, let's just talk about the Marvel movie. It's a big deal. And this movie black widow in particular is going to be the first movie that people will likely go back to a movie theater to see what do you think about that are you excited about that i i mean it's a huge privilege you know we, we've all suffered from not having communal experiences and, and for us to be able to you know come together and enjoy like a marvel extravaganza like they've created it's just so cool i'm really excited about it I like that you use the word extravaganza because I think I know you have a background in theater and something we think of in theater a lot is the idea of an event, the idea of a moment. And it seems like that is happening for Black Widow. Um, I I know you're not able to talk a lot about the film, uh, but you do play a character named Rick Mason. What can you tell us about him? Well, Mason is kind of a, he's like a finder. I sometimes think he's a little bit like Q and James Bond or Alfred and in Batman, he's the guy that can like hook up our hero with everything they need. The only difference is, is there's a bit of flirting going on, you know, which is curiously absent from Alfred and Q. Um, and because there's a backstory between between him and Scarlett, which is kind of um, him and Natasha, which is somewhat alluded to. And say, uh, you brought up Q. Um, obviously, uh, this is an, an anniversary. We just passed a big anniversary for James Bond films. What is one of your favorite Q gadgets from all the James Bond films you, you've seen? Oh my goodness. I don't, I mean, look, I love the cars. That was my, for some reason, I, and this is so basic, but the, the license plate that turns, I, <laughs> when I was a kid, I don't know why. That was something that always stood out to me, be like, that's a nifty way of uh, changing your car. Yes, I think that was fun. And one of my favorites was uh, when Q actually went into the field, he dressed up like, a, like a, a trash man and he had a broomstick that was a radio. It's like the stupidest <laughs> gadget, but you're like, it's so cool. It was integral to the plot, though. All right. Um, How let's get far back. we've come. <laughs> How far we've come. Because uh, Black Widow, I think the uh, gadgets are a little more advanced than broomsticks with radios. Um, and obviously, being a Marvel film, people have big ideas of what that means, big ideas of secrecy, big ideas on set. What is it like being in a production for a Marvel movie? Um, the, the, that's my Uber Eats at the door. Um, <laughs> Do you want to go grab that and then come back? You will listen, otherwise we'll be waiting outside. Yeah, um, go for it. Um, well, I guess let's we'll just do be... it live. Okay, when yeah. did you No, do it live. Way? Let's find out. Do it live, we're gonna do it live. Let's see, see what real superheroes are. I was say, uh, we're gonna totally judge your food choices here. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm supposed, I've like, I'm, my ambition is to be a vegan. I'm not achieving that ambition. Hello. Thank you so much. Bye. So you're like more like vegan adjacent. Let's put it that way. Exactly. I'm a, a vegan aspirational. Aspir- <laughs> <laughs> An aspirational vegan. Yeah. Um, okay. 
So we're 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 back. We're back. This is so loopy. I love it. <laughs> uh, we were talking um, a little bit about what it's like just to be in a Marvel film, be in the production with all, uh, especially the secrecy that's around it that a lot of people are, but also the fans are really uh, excited. Uh, how do you focus in such an environment like that? Um, you know, you know what? It's it's just, I guess, reminding myself about the the work itself, which is what I've done for, for my entire career. And and a lot of times this means putting your attention on other people and not on yourself, putting attention on the other actor, on the director, on the writer, on the script. Um, I think, you know, it's easy to become overwhelmed with those things if you're thinking, how are people seeing me and me, 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 and you know. Well, then um, the other cool thing about it is uh, Scarlett Johansson, who plays Black Widow, in case you did not know that, who are people listening, um, but she's played this role for over a decade. What's it like working with her? Um, well, she's just really brilliant at what she does. But also, you know, when you're a lead of the movie, you kind of set a tone on set for like, what the, what's the vibe? And her tone is really professional, but playful and engaging. And she just, she is very charismatic. She's a very charismatic person. And as you're playing scenes with her, I mean, again, she's had kind of 10 years on her character. Um, I'm guessing you didn't have that same prep time with Mason, but um, how do you approach that? And what's it like to watch her process maybe a new chapter for her character? Well, you know, I, to, to some extent, you know, there's a difference between what I'll do as an actor and the way the audience will perceive it. And so, so the audience will have that experience of this new chapter of her. From my character's perspective, this is the next chapter in our stage of our relationship, my relationship with Natasha. And so it's, it's a completely different thing. And, and it's important, you know, I, I think what, what's interesting about the scene in, in ways in many ways is what's interesting about the movie is you get to really see a much more three-dimensional view of Natasha, what her vulnerabilities are emotionally, what, what, what other aspects of her personality which are brought out by her family and indeed her closer friends like Mason. And the last thing I is, I know, again, there's not a lot you can talk about in regards to the movie, but is there something you're particularly excited about for the audience to see or your friends and family to see? Well, I mean, I think there's a really fun dynamic between Mason and Natasha. And, and for people who have seen the movie, they are very curious about it and what the details of the backstory are. A, very close. B, is, is Florence Pugh's a revelation. Let's talk about season four of The Handmaid's Tale. It's it's out now. Um, you play Luke, June's husband, and you've done this role over the course of four seasons. How has playing Luke changed for you from when you were just starting on season one to ending in season four now? I mean, I think it's really interesting going on a journey with the character this long. I've never done that before. You know, a bunch of you know, even Lizzie Moss has done like, you know, she did Mad Men for however many years. And so it's different for me. And what's interesting is most of the time, you know, like with Mason, I will do something like they call it sense memory or I'll have memories that I've imagined Mason has in the moment. For Luke, I actually have memories as Luke. I remember four years ago when this thing happened. And so that's a very different experience. I have a very different kind of like emotional connection to him. I would say, I mean, the, watching the show, it's so intense, which is one of the reasons so many of us love it. Um, but I saw a photo you, you uh, shared recently on Twitter, and it's 
um, Elizabeth Moss and she's like uh, pregnant and she's sitting on a bag, bed with a big smile and you're off to the side of the bed and uh, the best I could describe what you're doing is you have like a jaunty leg up pose. What's going on there? <laughs> it's a great, it's a great description. That leg was jaunty indeed. Um, you know what, Lizzie and I just have a fun time on set. You know, she's really funny. Um, she, she's one of the funniest people I've ever worked with. So when we work together, it's full on banter um, all the time. In fact, we get told off for it sometimes. Um, and so, um, so yeah, we're just fooling around, acting the fools as usual. Well, and you mentioned uh, Scarlett Johansson kind of uh, being um, a lead on the set. I imagine Elizabeth is it's the same case for her. What kind of set leader is, is Elizabeth? It's so effortless. Uh, what it was seemingly effortless what she does she has elizabeth has a real knowledge of camera and production and you know she directs episodes this year and, and so you get such an idea of how well-rounded her savant tv-ness is and um and yeah so it, it, it's competence and compassion and passion um that she comes with and you mentioned that you guys sometimes get in trouble offset. I'm wondering, as there's such a large ensemble, uh, especially of regulars on that show, does everyone kind of have their offset role as like someone the class clown, is someone like the older sibling looking out for everyone? I mean, they're all a bunch of freaking jokers, if you ask me. Um, Amanda is hilarious. Um, Samira, you know, they're they're all they're all great. They're just funny people. I I love coming to set and and working with them. Um, of course, Alexis is a little bit more reserved and super smart. I love chatting with her. And they're, they're, they're just, Yvonne is one of my, my, one of my closer friends on, on set. You know, so they're, they're just, Max is brilliant, you know, because he's a director as well. I, I, I re, I'm Bradley, the political mind, who I always go to, to to understand some things that are going on in US politics. It's, it's just such a, I love these guys. And there's always something going on in US politics, especially during the course of the show, actually, which is, I think, one of the reasons of its popularity. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you a little more seriously, though, because um, your character and obviously Jane's character have gone through so many traumas on the show. Um, and how does that affect you as just OT the person? Like, how do you deal with that? And have you learned from the traumas your character's gone through? Yeah, you know, I kind of think that people who decide to become actors and indeed artists are people who have a need to work their life through their art. You know, I think for some people going on stage and standing in front of a thousand people, that's hell. But I think for theater actors, that's something that they have a desire to do on some level. And so, so yeah, I've cried on set many, many times and, and, and imagined myself going through terrible, terrible traumas. But that's why I got into the game. No tears for me. I'm, this is I chose this life. So yeah, it's fine, I think. And you mentioned Elizabeth uh, was directing uh, episodes this, this season. And I read in another um, interview that you said it's like watching her is like watching a maestro. Can you explain that for me? Yeah, because, because she really understands subtleties that you know i play chess for example and i i know when i'm playing somebody who's not as good as me oh they don't see the things that i'm setting up and when i know when i'm playing someone better than me there are things that they're doing which i only see the end result of and it's a little bit like that with lizzie is that she understands camera angles and pacing and 
you know, colour in a way that I'm kind of figuring what she's doing, but the end result is just magical. And it's, it, it feels like that. Well, the reason I ask uh, not only about um, uh, her directing and acting is um, you've actually done some of that on your own. You, on the Hulu show Max, you wrote it, directed it, composed the music, acted in it, and executive produced the first episode. And I guess my first question is, are you deliberately trying to make all the rest of us look lazy? <laughs> um, it's not, it's not deliberate. My, it, it, <laughs> well, how did, how did you end up wearing so many ha uh, caps on Max? You know, the funny thing is, is that I only wanted to direct it. I just wanted to direct it. And then, then someone was like, well, if you want to, they're not going to let you direct, bro. So you better own the material. So you better write. So I was like, fine, I freaking write it. So then I was writing it. And then they were like, well, they'll make it, but only if you're in it. And I was like, well, now I'm acting again. So, so it kind of came around by chance where I really just wanted to direct. And so I wrote and I wanted to write, so I acted. And then the exec producing just came back. The, the, the music, I had a few songs that, that I'd written and I, they just worked for the show. And so, you know, next thing you know, I'm doing everything, doing the caterings on Thursdays. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's, it's a bit like that movie waiting for guffman when the uh the trumpet player hits the timpani at the same time it's right like image right. of you doing this um but how did you balance though doing all those different facets on a show especially since it is your voice who is leading the show artistically it's having collaborators who you trust and 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 who are amazing you know like my i'm always a, if i'm the sm I, i'm i'm never the smartest person in the room but i'm always i'm i'm on purpose trying to make sure i'm surrounded by people smarter than me and more talented than me that way i learn that way you know things get better and 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 the gaps in my ability are, are filled and and i had great collaborators including my brother luti Oh, nice, nice. You have to read your brother. How did, does that translate well, like in a working relationship? Yeah, you know, it, it just worked out really well that Luti and I have complementary skill sets and we've got a lot of love and respect for each other. And so I made my first short films with him. And very early on, he was just my biggest advocate, the, the person who believed in me most. And so he exec produced um, Max and, and we've got some more projects coming up. Nice. And if you could go back in time, like present you, could go back in time to talk to yourself before you started on Max, what advice do you think you would give? I would just try and get a better sleep plan. I didn't <laughs> sleep very much during that time. And I think I could have prepared somewhat better. It was bad. I was, I was averaging only like two or three hours a night, I think. Oh my God, that is bad. Especially if you're going to be on camera on top of it all. Yeah, I know, I know. I would say you mentioned you had some songs that uh, you just end up using for that. Um, but I wanted to ask you, because you do have a, a little bit of a background in music. What, what, make, what do you think makes a good score for a film or TV show? What, what are qualities you're looking for? Look, I am, this is not me being self-deprecating. Uh, I'm not a very good musician. I'm a very average musician. And I've just, <laughs> I, I've, put, I've been lucky to be in the right time, place at the right time a few times, which meant, you know, I, I wrote some music for a couple of shows. But I really, that is, that is so much luck is involved in that. So I've got no idea to answer my question. I love listening to scores. I think, I think uh, oftentimes it's when you don't hear a score and you just feel the score is when it's most successful. But how to do that, I haven't got This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So OT, the name of our podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. What are you currently obsessed with? Oh my gosh, so many things. I'm a kind of like <laughs> obsessive kind of guy. So, um, all right, I'll just give you three, and then you just so three things I'm obsessed with right now include VR. I'm obsessed with figuring out how to tell narrative through VR, and I'm making some really interesting inroads with that. What do you wait? Let me ask you this because um, your background in theater mm. and your background in film seem like it, they kind of cue you up perfect for that because I yeah. feel like a lot of people don't think of it that way. Yeah, absolutely right because. Theater is a kind of, you're getting a, a whole body experience that the editing in theater is done through more through movement and light as opposed to movies which are cutting. And so I, I've got various theories on, on how we'll be able to tell stories in an effective way through VR. And what are the other two you were going to say? You had two others. Well, what else two of the other say? many obsessions. Well, listen, I'm a little bit excited. This, I don't know how well this is going to date. But this whole UAP UFO report that's coming out, I'm 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 upset. Every day I'm checking that. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm so interested in that. Well, it's curious because there's so many pilots who are like, yeah, we see it's like seeing birds. Like, yeah, we see them all the time. We're like, what? Did you guys not tell us this before? Right. Well, they have been, but I guess the thing is, we we it, there's always this like gap of of like believability. Well, did they really see it? Did they imagine it? And and, and I still don't know. Like. I think what's interesting is come, we're now more in a kind of more cohesive way, getting scientists and engineers and pilots and people coming together and getting all the information. And, and who knows what it is? I'm not saying I know what it is. I'm just so interested that there, we feel like at this point in science, like we know what everything is. And there's just suddenly this new thing, which is like, well, we've got no idea what that is. And that's exciting to me. I mean, a lot of people are hoping what it is, is aliens. Is that, are you hoping that it's, it's an alien in one of those like little blurry spacecraft? All right, I'm gonna go just off the cliff a little bit here. But, but basically I'm like, it, it may be something not just more strange than we imagine, but maybe something more strange than we can imagine. Like. I, I, I was listening to this podcast the, the other day and this dude was saying he was at his computer like writing code or whatever you know downloading bitcoin or whatever and he was looking at his dog looking at him at the computer and he started imagining what is this dog thinking and the dog was he saw oh the dog is probably imagining he's guarding the box the computer you know <laughs> or maybe he's waiting for food to come out of the box the dog could only think in dog terms and i think as humans we are so anthropomorphic we only see things for human vision aliens make sense to our narrative but i think it might be even stranger than that i think you're right you mentioned you might have another uh, obsession you wanted to share what would that third obsession be the first two have been amazing by the way so no pressure oh um, <laughs> what else am i obsessed with at the moment well i i'm i'm, I'm really really interested and obsessed with, with with figuring out ways 
that we can find access for different types of storytellers. And I'm talking about diversity here from behind the camera, because, you know, statistically, when you look at directors and writers and producers, it's terrible. It's so terrible. And, you know, I, I got reminded the other day when I was watching Hamilton again, and I was like, if we had just let the same people tell the story, we would never have got Hamilton. We would never have got this whole new way of thinking about American history. And, and that's what's, advantageous about diversity isn't that we make it fair for everyone which it, that's a great thing but it's also we get the benefit of a new perspective on on things and, and so i'm really i'm really intrigued on, on how we expand that and uh you look at the industry you look at uh the opportunities but you also look at our society and our culture and, and i think there's lots of little things we have to do across all of those to even even get that started but yeah it also makes you excited to think about what is that art going to be like and, yeah. and how different it's going to be? Yeah. Speaking of what art's going to be like, one of your upcoming projects, you're going to be in the Showtime series, The First Lady, mm. uh, which also stars Viola Davis as Michelle Obama and you as Barack Obama. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks a lot, man. Okay, so there are so many, 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 many takes and impressions on Obama. How did you approach playing him? Um, I mean, I, everything I could think of, you know, I, I read all the books and books about him, books written by him and the documentaries and YouTube footage. What, one of the funnier things I did, well, I think it's weird and funny, is I just started connect, contacting all his impressionists, like all the people who do impressions. I just tried to get in contact with them. Um, I, and this was really early on in the process, because obviously by the time I'm doing it, on camera, I'm trying to make a much more sophisticated take on Obama than someone who's doing a funny impression because it's a, a whole different, but really early on, just when I wanted to get some broad strokes of, of movement and gesture and, and voice, I, I contacted some of his uh, impersonators. And uh, yeah, I mean, they were hilarious. There's some really good ones out there. Did, I say, did you get like any, like, can you think of one of the tips they gave you? The, the maracas, that was one. What's that? That's his, that's his gesture. You know, he kind of oh. does it, the maracas. <laughs> and, the, and for those who are listening, who can't see, um, you, are, you are clenching your, your hand like a, a fist, like you're holding a maraca. And then, and then a thumb, a thumb on top of your index finger, your curled index <laughs> finger, and just giving that a little shake. At, at some point in politics school, he learned that gesture. I would say I felt for a minute that Barack Obama was on the Zoom call and I got really excited. But uh, <laughs> so, no, I'm kidding. Um, but I wonder too, because you have a background in theater, you've done some Shakespeare. And do you equate it a little bit like Shakespeare's history plays where they're based on a person, but it's not the person, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, you know what? I think like if people want to go watch Barack Obama, there's, there's so much footage. Go on YouTube. Mm -hmm. see, you go watch a documentary. There's so much Barack Obama. What I, I was really curious about is what was he, what is he like when the camera's turned off? And, and, and even more than that, like what's the dirt under the fingernails? Where is he weak? When is he uncertain? You know, because we see him so confident. You know, when does he get a little annoyed and angry? You know, and so so I, I, was, I was really curious about kind of creating a full dimension in a way the barack obama that we see is his is his facebook profile it's his you know manicured you know pr beautiful person and i think what the advantage of this kind of fictionalized account is is we get to imagine what he's like behind the camera in all your research did you find something that you were really surprised about one of the things i found most interesting is 
Uh, so his father passes when he's 10 and then his mother sends him to go live with his grandparents around the same time. And he always tells it, the narrative he tells around it is that his mom wanted him to learn what it was to become an American. His mom wanted him to get the benefits of the American education system. But then I just thought, but also you have an 11 year old who was abandoned by both his parents. Like his father abandoned him by, I mean, he died in a car crash, but his father was also an alcoholic. So to some extent, you might assume that his father took his own life through negligence, maybe. And his mother shipped him off after being married to someone else. And what, what does that do to a child's psyche? To, you know, and obviously there are lots of children who, you know, either been in through adoption or that have been through that. But it was really interesting to me to think of Barack, a man who you have to want to be loved to become a politician, as well as want to change the world. But it's an interesting thing to think about potentially that need for love and also the fact that his, neither of his parents were there for him at that crucial time in his life. Oh man, that, that description is giving me goosebumps. It's so good. I mean, and those are things you don't think about. You just assume you see this very polished, you see this very intelligent, charismatic person, and you don't think of all the 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 trauma and all the, the grief yeah. that, that he probably went through and had a exactly. process. Real quick, wanted to ask- Oh, I, sorry, sorry, I, just, just, just a quick correction. His dad didn't die when he was 10, his dad died later on, but his dad did, uh, had abandoned him by then, had gone back to Kenya. No, that's a very good correction. Um, but I did want to ask, what is it like playing opposite Viola Davis, uh, who I think is just one of the, the best actors out there you, you could work with? Yeah, she's one, of, she's one of the best of our generation. I, I, to be honest, it, it's, it, it's a love thing. I just, I love her, you know, like I would a sister, you know, she, she I, I, yeah, I don't know how to describe it. I have just got so much love for her. She's so passionate. She's so smart. I mean, I didn't, you could tell, I guess, from her performances that she's so emotionally intelligent, but hearing her talk, we've talked politics and philosophy. She's so articulate, so smart, so well-read. Uh, I'm just, I'm inspired by her. And say, so just in this interview, we've talked about you working opposite Elizabeth Moss, Scarlett Johansson, uh, Viola Davis, and they're all very different people. They're all um, very different actors, but they're all three very prolific and respected. Is there a quality that you can identify or that you've noticed that they all share that is maybe part of why they're, they are who they are? Um, I don't know. They're very, they, they all inspire me but in very, very different ways. I don't know what the through line is apart from, you know, there is this, I sometimes think that great artists channel something from, you know, the unseen elements in the universe. They, they, they connect to something and, and they all do that for sure. Okay, so we wrap up with a thing we call pick one, or I call pick one. Yeah. <laughs> and I give you a couple of choices and you pick one. The thing that you pick doesn't mean it's better than the other thing you didn't pick. And I encourage you to talk it out. So let's play pick one. How's that sound, OT? Yeah. All right, so the first one I have is Scarlett Johansson in Lost in Translation, Marriage Story, or Under the Skin. Pick one. Oh, Marriage Story was just so raw and moving. And, and I, yeah, I, I mean, I, all of those three performances were brilliant, but... But Marriage Story, I, I was surprised by Marriage Story. You know, in a way, Under the Skin was just such a, 
brilliant performance, but I, I can imagine her doing that. And, and, and obviously Lost Translation was like, oh, introduction to this, but Marriage Story, I was just surprised you chose to do that movie and just surprised that, you know, it, just, it was just great. Okay, here's the next one for you. TV, film, or theater, pick one. Theater. How come, <laughs> how come? The stage, the stage, it's, it's just a beautiful thing. It's so live and raw and, and, and for me personally, it was very formative. It, it, it changed the whole course of my life, the theater. Okay, so I got two more. Uh, pick one, Charlie Parker, John Coltrane, or Kenny G, pick one. <laughs> Let me not get beat up online. I mean, look. I mean, first of all, let me say, I'm going to go with John Coltrane. John Coltrane, he's in a sentimental mood. You know, to be honest, I found Parker a little bit hard to get into. I don't know if I'm not sophisticated enough. It was like it took ages for me to get into Bach. Both of them are just so complex. But, and of course, Coltrane is very complex, but In a Sentimental Mood is one of my favorite songs and he does one of my very favorite versions of it. So that's what I'm going with. And, I, and, and for listeners who are like, what the heck are they talking about? Like you played alto saxophone. All three of those guys play alto saxophone. That's the connection. And here's my last one. This is probably the hardest question I'm going to ask the entire interview. Pick one, naughty, come in with the naughty vibes or how awesome am I? <laughs> So for people who don't know, these are some of the catchphrases from my character, Max, M-A-X-X-X, which you can catch on Hulu. Um, go check it out. It's a barrel of laughs. Um, and one of his catchphrases is, naughty. Um, yes. Because <laughs> he's a bit of a friggin' idiot. So uh, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and it's so delightful seeing you play a role like that, especially uh, in contrast to something like A Handsmaid's Tale, which is, right. there's no one saying, come in with a naughty vibe on that show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna try um, and slip it in there. You think you should try to slip? Yeah. <laughs> we don't know why season five ended all of a sudden. Yeah. But, uh, now, now we have document why it could have. But I am so excited to see uh, Black Widow and very excited to see uh, the First Lady when that comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. Well, hopefully we get to chat again before long. I want to thank OT for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. Black Widow is out on July 9th in theaters and available online with premiere access on Disney+. You can watch seasons one through four of The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And if you really like this episode, please rate it. Until next time, take care.